0: That's what hey. Hey. that. Why are you so sweaty? As as I, bedroom, I was watching I mean, cops. not supposed to have your feet on the couch. All right, ramblers, let's get rambling seminars. Next seminar up February 17th through the 19th, then April 14th to the 16th, then June 9th to the 11th. For training camps on the list, Seoul Brothers in South Korea are having a squat camp and a deadlift power clean camp on the same day. That's April 9th. And when you buy both, you get $40 off. We also have a press and bench press camp in Long Island on April 1st. And then the following are all squat and deadlift camps with spots available. February 11th in Orlando at Starring Strength Orlando, then Vegas on March 5th, Queens, New York on March 19th, and Phoenix, Arizona on April 8th. Also, look out for camps in Beaverton, Oregon, Omaha, Nebraska, and back to the UK in Bristol. And then finally, our first camp in Guadalajara, Mexico, March 25th. That's a squat and deadlift camp. And almost forgot, we do have a few spots left in Toronto on February 26th. That's a three-lift camp covering the squat, the press, and the deadlift. If you're not part of the Starting Strength Network, then you might be missing out. For a low monthly fee, you get access to exclusive content, a private forum, and more personalized verbal abuse from Rip himself. Check that out at network.startingstrength.com. And as usual, for more information on anything that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage
1: Welcome back to starting strength radio. We are here again with, uh, with our guest, uh, this week, Kim Goss. Kim is, uh, is a fellow weightlifting coach and has been around a long time. And, and what we're going to talk about today is, uh, he and I talk on the phone all the time. And we were discussing some stuff two or three weeks ago about functional training. And I decided, you know, Let's talk about that because it's such a gigantic distraction from what we're supposed to be doing in the weight room. It's, uh, uh, it's a colossal waste of time, and uh, this is probably going to be the only place you hear it discussed in these terms. So uh, you guys hold on to your hats, and we're going to say ugly things about functional training today. Kim, thanks for being with us. Appreciate your time.
2: Yeah, great to be here.
1: So, um, Kim, give us a little bit of background on on your your authority here. I mean, I, everybody knows what, what my background is. Everybody watching this podcast is familiar with most of my positions. They've read the books and all this other all this other shit and and uh, I've got uh, absolutely nothing but contempt for people who call themselves strength coaches that don't make anybody strong so you have been uh, an Olympic weightlifting coach for a very long time uh, I've been doing this for about 47 years how long have you been doing it
2: um, entered my first meet in nineteen seventy
1: Two. 72 so, so you beat me man
2: yeah, in you got me beaten by when you came to years. the uh, yeah when you came to the uh, olympic training center for your uh level one certification
1: i was there yeah that was in
2: 89, was yep, was was in the
1: 89. you were a resident athlete then or you were just no no i was a at strength the,
2: i was a strength coach for the air force academy at that time
1: oh okay well, we didn't get introduced at the time, so I don't guess. Or maybe I've forgotten. I forget all kinds of things, Kim. God damn it. This yeah. being old is not as much fun as everybody seems to think it would be. You
2: well, I guess that's what drugs are for.
1: Yeah. In <laughs> fact. In fact. And I'm doing my best <laughs> to take as many as I possibly can. So. Since 1972, what have you been doing?
2: Okay, well, uh, first of all, academically, uh, my undergrad degree is in the field of journalism. Um, It started off as journalism, then midstream they changed it to mass communication. And my master's degree is in uh, human movement, um, and that's gone through changes. They start with PE, then it's kinesiology, then exercise science, now it's called human movement. But... um, so basically, because I have um, that type of background, every five years, I changed careers. So after <laughs> military service, after military service, um, I was an editor at Runner's World um, Publications for five years. And then um, I went off to the Air Force Academy. And I was a strength coach for eight years, um, primarily working with the football team, but I did write the workouts for all the varsity athletes there. And then from there, I went off to Uh, Northern California, and uh, Ghost wrote books for fitness celebrities and also wrote for bodybuilding magazines. And then from there, I went to uh, Plano, Texas, where I trained figure skaters uh, for five years. And then from there, I went off to Utah and uh, was the editor of an athletic fitness magazine called Bigger, Faster, Stronger and then from there i went uh, to um, utah and uh, started working with this uh, strength coach uh, charles pullican and i was his uh, primary editor right now i primarily do um, ghostwriting and um, i do trained athletes at a local university um, in all i would say i've written 33 books um, i've written over 1500 articles for print magazines and another maybe 2,500 for, uh, online magazines.
1: Well, you got me beat there. <laughs> I've only written eight books and, uh, although they've sold pretty well, but, uh, yeah, I write a few articles here and there, but nothing like that. So that's quite a, that's quite a body of work. And,
2: but, uh, but the idea, <clears throat> yeah, the idea is that, um, I would say I, I average about 3000 words a day, so I was looking at your book, uh, S- strong enough. Yeah. Um, now, like, if you were to hire me, um, I would give you a call, hit the tape recorder, and tell me what you want to say. And in the next 90 minutes, you tell me what to say. And a week later, you would have a book. <laughs> so, for, <laughs> no, I can't yeah. type
1: that fast. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, in fact, but, one, know, for, one of the things I've noticed about my writing is that when I am when I sit down to write an article, I really don't have any idea what the article is going to say until I'm through with it because I think while I'm writing and I don't know if you've experienced the, the, the same thing, but I, I get my thoughts organized as I'm actually putting the words down. And I, in fact, I do the same thing when I lecture. Um, things occur to me while I'm processing the information. That hadn't occurred to me before, and, and uh, uh, you know, I I learn from myself while I'm thinking about this stuff, and uh, so, no, I wouldn't, uh, I, just, I guess I couldn't use a ghostwriter, but uh, it would be, because uh, there's just a whole bunch of things that occur to me while I'm tumbling these thoughts around in my head, so... Uh, so th- there's that, I guess probably some people are like that, but, uh, that's certainly my style. So, uh, what, uh, you, you and I've talked over the years on the phone and, and uh, uh, you know, every once in a while we have a good idea. And I, I like, uh, the fact that you brought up functional training to me, that, when we were on the phone together two or three weeks ago, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a topic of concern for me. and has been for quite some time because of the fact that a whole bunch of people are uh, wasting a whole bunch of other people's time in the weight room doing things that do not make them stronger and do not improve their skill on the field it's neither functional training is neither practice nor is it training and uh kim and i were talking about this a while back and it's just uh he's had a lot more experience a whole lot more experience with these types of things than i have because i have my own gym and i've had my own gym for decades and i don't have to deal with other people's bullshit he on the other hand has to deal with other people's bullshit all the time and so he's been exposed to this at uh, a very deep level and he's got some thoughts on this and i think you're going to find uh that there is uh after you watch today's podcast you're going to come away with some very good arguments against this particular wasting of time called functional training so, you uh, tell me about this.
2: Okay, well, first of all, I look at functional training as a marketing term, like uh, natural soda pop, uh, essential oils,
1: okay? Right. Gluten-free.
2: Okay. So, right. In fact, this is kind of funny. <laughs> Yesterday, I got my catalog from the leaders in functional training. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so... <laughs> the, so it's Here, here's like, one, a, one thing. like a
1: toy catalog, isn't it?
2: <laughs> so, so here's the thing. Here's the, the functional training uh, handbook. And this is like the the poster child exercise is this Bulgarian split squat. Okay? Right. Now, I've had quite a uh, experience with um, uh, the Bulgarian split squat. Back in the uh, late 80s, Angel Spassoff, was a Bulgarian coach. Uh,
1: I knew him well. He was came, a, He yeah. was a good guy. I really enjoyed being around him.
2: He came to to visit. Um, me and I gave him a tour of the Air Force academy. I was asking about his training methods and he told me about this type of uh um, you know, split squat that he was doing with uh, the Bulgarian weightlifters. And uh um, the funny thing is the type of split squat that he was doing was, um, with the back foot only about four inches off the ground. So you were actively using that back leg.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, as a hip extension. well, as it right. no, as a, as a hip flexor, as you came up out of the bottom, that's actually hip flexion. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. And and, and so, um, I was really curious about it and we tried it with our, our athletes. Um, and uh you know it was kind of funny i was showing it to one of my elite figure skaters um uh, gorsha sir he was a a national champion for the united states and i asked him about the exercise and he said well you know if you lift your back leg even higher it's very specific to ice dancing so in 1981 i actually wrote an article for a figure skating magazine on the gorsha (laughs) lunge and uh, it was kind of funny we, we tried it on two of our swimmers and uh they came back to me the next day and said coach i tell you our gorshers are so sore
1: yeah yeah <laughs> you know, not really
2: what it was but um but I, I was really interested in that and i was uh i was talking to bud Charniga, and uh, he said you know um there's an article that came out in muscle and fitness about this exercise, um, along with the step up. And they claim that uh, Taranenko, who had held the world record in the clean and jerk for what, 30 plus years, mm-hmm. um, he stopped doing um, back squats. And uh, all he's I been doing is these split squats and these step ups. And I so, don't
1: believe that.
2: <laughs> so here's the thing is, 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 um, you know, Bud speaks Russian, he, he went to, uh, and he saw Taraniko and he said, uh, you know, Angel Spasov, you know, says you stop doing back squats. And he said, well, oh, yeah, I just squatted, but eight twenty seven for three reps with a two second pause. And who's Angel Spasov?
1: <laughs> 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 now,
2: and, and, and the, the, the funny thing about the, uh, uh is we had actually of the head Bulgarian coach, um, at our, our gym about a dozen years ago, and I got to spend some time with him. And, uh, and I asked him, "Hey, uh, you know, tell me about this Bulgarian lunge, you know?" And he says, "I never. What do you talk about?"
0: <laughs> right.
2: And uh, he, he never did the exercise. But the other thing is that the problem with this this exercise, um, you look at the front leg because the the leg is so. Uh, elevated he's not even reaching a, a parallel position with his front leg but you're also having some other issues is that with the leg that high you're creating a hyperextension of the spine and yes. in addition to that um, Stuart McGill who's done over 200 research studies on on back pain he's one of the foremost authorities on the world he says you get into this um, what interior uh, uh, and posterior uh, twisting of the spine so one pelvis side of the pelvis goes All this right. way the other goes the other way and you create a lot of shearing forces on the spine sure. okay so you have the shearing forces on the spine and you have the hyperextension on on the spine um so uh, uh you know i think you end up doing a lot more you know harm than good well they're, they're uh,
1: a stupid idea they, they really are a stupid idea any anything that involves a unilateral uh loading is you know it's, it doesn't lend itself to strength improvement because we are bilateral animals, and uh, everything is designed to work in balance and simultaneously and that's why we squat more than we Bulgarian split squat. And it's you know, I, I, I don't know why there is this fascination with this unilateral stuff in, in functional training. Nobody can lift heavy well, weights like that.
2: But here's the thing is that actually at our university we have a dozen of these um benches that this company sells and um and you're buying books and you're selling courses, so you know follow yes. the you know you follow yeah, that money there
1: it's a you're right it's a business model it's it is what it is it's a business model it's not a training model
2: they're also claiming that well if you work um with just exercise like squats and deadlifts that's not going to transfer over to your lateral training well i had one of my uh, weightlifters he weighs 143 pounds he officially clean and jerked i think. Uh, 289 so over double body weight Mm -hmm. and i said um hey christian um i want you to try some one-legged squats so he just you know kind of hold on to a post for balancing grab a dumbbell and i think he grabbed like 125 pounds and did like three reps on each leg right okay well right know. so how did he get that strong
1: without having done those (laughs) gosh i don't know you know, it's this is it, it, it's this it's so weird that they think they can. Oh God! All right, well here. All right, let's 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 do this. Let's talk about what strength is. All right, and because everything must come from first cause, or it's bullshit. All right, strength is the ability to produce force against an external resistance. That's what that's what strength is defined as. I don't think there's any controversy about that. Uh, about that definition, we're not talking about strength of character or strength of smell. We're not talking about anything except physical strength, and that's the production of force, the ability to produce force against an external resistance. So, what makes you stronger is what allows you to lift the heaviest weights. Now, this is this is. You know that's why someone with a 600-pound deadlift is stronger than someone with a 300-pound deadlift, and the way you get to a 600-pound deadlift from a 300-pound deadlift is best accomplished five pounds at a time. And this is this is it's it's not controversial, all right? Yet these guys go in the weight room. They never have their athletes lift anything heavy on both legs. They split everything into unilateral stuff. And not only is it ineffective in terms of producing strength in the 600-pound deadlift sense, in the 800-pound squat sense, it is – now, listen carefully, boys and girls – loading one knee at a time – is not safe it is dangerous one-legged split squats with a dumbbell with your back foot elevated is not as safe as a as a squat with the barbell on your back you make one mistake in that bottom make one mistake in the bottom and your knee is injured all right. now, it doesn't well, happen all the time granted but nonetheless there's far more potential there for problems than there are for benefits
2: well, well mark let's kind of expand on that because one of the uh, benefits they say of functional training is that it helps you uh, withstand the disruptive forces that occur in sport so i'm seeing athletes i, I saw this guy must weigh 225 um and he was uh standing on this um uh, foam piece of um uh i don't know blue foam piece Some of something, whatever. Shit. Right. yeah right. and he's holding a 10 pound weight plate and he's doing quarter squats okay now do you need to tell me if you were to take let's say 500 pounds off of a squat rack and you're getting ready to squat you don't you're not dealing with any disruptive forces
1: well, this is this is what's so you know, astonishingly stupid about this whole thing. You know, you, 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 you take 500 pounds out of the rack and you squat a set of five with it and put it back in the rack and you don't fall down, then you were training balance, right? Yeah, yeah. You didn't fall what? down. You deadlift 600 for a set of five and you don't fall down, then you were in balance. And balance was getting trained. You know, I, you, you press 250 overhead. That is a very long kinetic chain from your hands all the way down to the floor. And you didn't <clears throat> fall down. I don't know of a more balance-intensive exercise than a press. A locked-out standing press. I don't know of anything that is more demanding of stabilizer muscles than a standing press with a big weight. Well, let, let's go. Let's
2: stay on the idea of injury prevention because that's their big selling point. Now, my okay. coach was Jim. My coach was Jim Smiths, um, three-time US Olympic team coach. We had the first man to press five hundred pounds, the first man to snatch five hundred pounds, and the first man to clean and jerk. 500 pounds, okay? Now, you remember a few years ago, I met you at the Arnold. Uh, we were uh, met you in front of the, there was a powerlifting competition going on. Yeah. Well, at that competition, um, I was uh, working on an article and I, I went to the weightlifting coaches and I said, them, um, how many of your athletes in your career um, have pulled a hamstring? And how many have torn their ACL? How many had an, an Achilles injury? Mm-hmm. Okay. And they all just kind of like cock their head and look at me like a, you know, confused puppy dog. Okay. Because those types of injuries in the sport are pretty much non existent. Um, at, at the European uh, Weightlifting Championships, uh, they covered it for like uh, over like a, a five year period, 480 athletes. So you're looking at a week long event. And like for the women, um, the total number of injuries to the knee, uh, lower back, uh ankle uh leg or zero you're looking at tens of thousands of attempts with you know sub and maximal weights mm-hmm. so you know success leaves clues now think about this like two years ago before the start of the nfl season there were 74 hamstring pulls 74, 74
1: hamstring get... pulls and what is the dominant training method in the weight rooms of professional sports teams all over the country right now. It is functional training. Yeah. That, th- those two facts, that's the phenomenology, okay? <laughs> that's what happens, right? You've got everybody doing light weights in the weight room, dancing around on medicine balls and unstable surfaces and squish, lifting light weights unilaterally. And then you've got 74 hamstring tears. At the same time
2: yeah. I, and, I, you know. uh, during, the, during yeah I think last uh, season um, there were 25 Achilles ruptures and um, an interesting thing was uh, the uh, the NBA uh, looking like over, I think it was like 11 year period there were four reported Achilles ruptures. well, in 2019 there were six in one season. So with all this you know great sports medicine care, a friend of mine went to one of the NFL teams and he said that their sports medicine budget every year was $20 million. God. Um, <laughs> you know, but... For healthy he, young he, men. You know, but the yeah. funny thing is, he said, all the football players look like horses. So big butts, big upper thighs, but like no, like uh, development around the knee, no, no calf development. Um, and when you're doing you know partial range exercises you know you're not strengthening the um the muscles and the connective tissues to a full range of motion they, they right. the connective tissue becomes like an old rubber band so when you stretch too far it pulls there was one nfl season a few years ago i think there were uh 13 acl ruptures in the first week an acl rupture is pretty much the kiss of death for a, a football player it's pretty difficult to to come back from
1: that if it's diagnosed if, a lot, there's a lot of guys in the nfl playing right now without an acl and they don't want you to know that because uh they don't want to miss any time but people rupture their acls all the time but they do it more now than they used to and the reason for that is real real clear the acl that anterior cruciate ligament prevents anterior translation of the tibia relative to the femur so if you have a ruptured acl the test is called draw sign so you 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 put the knee at 90 degrees you take your hands and pull the top of the calf away from the knee and if it moves then that's positive draw sign, and that means you've either got no ACL or a partial rupture of the ACL. Now, what muscle mass controls that function? Hamstrings. And what exercises make the strongest hamstrings? Squats and deadlifts make the strongest hamstrings, not Bulgarian split squats. And if you do not have big, strong hamstrings, then your knee is not as stable as it could be if you did. Now, a long time ago in the NFL, all the guys knew this. And all those guys went down in the basement, did their squats and their deadlifts and their presses and their benches. And they were fairly strong. And they didn't have anybody telling them to do that. They just knew it. Like Mike Webster. They didn't have a strength coach. They just had Mike Webster. And he trained at home. And this was back in the 70s. And that was the scariest front line in football. The Pittsburgh Steelers back in the 70s. Those guys were big, strong mooses. And, uh, and it works it works but now we have a distraction called functional training what do you think has happened to the incidence of acl ruptures in in sports as a result of functional training
2: well here's one problem is uh i think a lot of the strength coaches have gotten distracted you know because, oh yes because because it seems like uh, every few years we go through a different phase or so we have our our core you know training that's really important we have our you know velocity based training now which is the big thing you know um and we had this stability training and we then we had this you know um um, issue with everybody's doing all the plyometrics so we keep going through these phases that the cycles they they keep repeating but let's say like at the university i'm at the strength coaches is is gosh um what they do is amazing they have a twelve thousand square foot weight room. They have twelve hundred athletes um, uh, for varsity, and then two hundred athletes uh, for the uh, sports coaches. And you, you're trying to get all those people through. <laughs> so usually you only have like an, an hour to work out. So if you're a coach and say, like, "Well, okay, I want to do my uh, my my core work, and I got to do these." Uh, um, you know, band exercises, and I have to do, a, you know, you know the, uh, the the one-legged stability. exercise you don't have have much time. Half of your time is on these auxiliary things. Now, there is a place. For example, they've shown that if you do some isolated neck work, that can reduce your incidence of a concussion. So I have no problem. Like after you get done with all your squats and cleans and deadlifts, to spend five minutes doing a, an isolation exercise for your Uh, for your neck muscles okay but don't don't make that 30 minutes of your um your workout program because
1: it takes time away from the stuff that really makes you tougher and more injury-proof on the field which is basic strength and size you know now see we we don't do isolated neck stuff because we have found that in the in the course of getting your deadlift up from nothing up to four ninety five, almost everybody except the girls, everybody puts two two and a half three inches on their neck without doing anything for the neck because of the function of the neck muscles during the pull. Isometric produces growth too. So. Uh, well,
2: it, it, it's it's funny back. Uh, um, in the '80s, when I was uh, uh, really heavy in Olympic lifting, I got I got tested on one of these Medex. It's a, at the time the machine cost about one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, and they they checked neck strength. And the guy told me over that two-year period, I, I had the the best stre- neck strength of anybody that they tested.
1: And you had done no neck exercises.
2: Yeah, but have you seen? Uh, you, well, you're a fan of like like you, you know Pissarinko. I mean, have you ever seen his upper trapezius development? Yes. Uh, Yeah.
1: That that Mm -hmm. famous picture of Pizarenko taken from behind when he's doing a snatch high pull with 300 kilos or whatever the hell that was on the – you remember the picture, (laughs) right? Yeah. He's standing there in his underwear and his lifting shoes and socks, and he's got the bar up with a snatch grip up at his nipples. And – that may be the most amazing picture of a human physique I have ever seen. the 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 guy was uh, it, it, it's just astonishing to see that. And I, you can, you guys, go look that up on the internet. It's it's the damnedest thing you've ever seen. This man was, and you have to keep in mind that when that picture was taken, he was like 25 years old. 25, 26 years old. He looks older than that. All the Russian lifters always looked older than they were. But they—that uh, was a big, giant, strong horse of a human being.
2: It was actually funny. My coach um, met him, and uh, you know, he said, uh, "Antonio, what what do the Russians do for pain?" You know, and he said, That's "What vodka?" Oh, the Russian three. He said, "The <laughs> Russian three, alcohol." aspirin and cigarettes
1: <laughs> yes so that's what they did the guy was uh guy was amazing he uh uh
2: he only, he only weighed like 130 kilos about 286 I mean last year yeah
1: he, he was, wasn't as big as Taranenko was um uh, that's probably he weighed somewhere between probably 275 and 280 I think he did 265 too didn't he?
2: Yeah. And he said he, I guess he cleaned um, uh, over 600 pounds, uh, you know, in, in, in training, but you compare it, to, you know, Lasha is extremely impressive, but you know,
1: he, he's six, he seven, by
2: a, he's,
1: he's six, uh, seven. He weighs 385.
2: <laughs> yeah, That's got a, a major household appliance. There. That's
1: that um, is the, you know, it, it's not surprising that he's lifting the weight. he ought to be lifting the weights. He's doing it. And he's not through. You know he's not through uh the guys uh well i was told let me who i can't remember who told me this i don't i don't remember the guy's but, name but, he, but he, he i was training to him at... on the phone and uh yeah. talked to him on the phone one time i said what did taranenko clean a jerk in training and he said uh 275. Now, Jesus Christ, you know, 275. And 266 was the was the record, but he'd exceeded that in training. And he just matter of fact, 275. You know, so well over 600 pounds. And, uh, it's just you know, what a what amazing animals those guys were.
2: Yeah, you but know? but you know yeah one thing um, about the functional training is uh, you know I keep saying, how did we get here, and because many of the strength coaches that uh, that I've dealt with because the 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 companies I've worked for we've given um, you know seminars to people who have. USA weightlifting certifications um, and many strength coaches and in, in high schools, um, you, know, you know. Nowadays, if you want to be a strength coach, what do you have to do? You have to go to a college and get a four-year degree in exercise science, mm-hmm. and then and, and right now with the NCAA rules, you you better get your you know NSCA certification. Oh yeah, too. you have
1: to. Everybody's CSC. That's just a ticket you punch when you. When you're graduating with a PE degree,
2: yeah, but uh, it, it, nowhere do you have to actually show that you can do a squat, that you or, can do a, squat,
1: or more importantly, coach a squat,
2: or or coach it, um, yeah. Because you say you're you're one of the few organizations out there that actually um, require you to demonstrate the exercise, and also so that you could. You coach it. Yeah, you know, I have. I,
1: as far I'm as like, I know, Kim, we are the only certifying organization that requires you to demonstrate your competence as a coach before you can even take the test. Well, I don't know of another organization that's denied. You know, perfectly willing to be wrong about that, but I don't know of another group that makes you. Stand on the platform with a lifter and show them how to squat correctly and then correct their errors as a part of our exam process.
2: Well, the company I work for, Bigger, Faster, Stronger, we had uh, you have 50 instructors who were certified teachers. We gave 10,000 clinics. And in this certification course, they do require you to be certified to show that you can teach that. But, again, I have 12 certifications, and most of these are just multiple-choice True, yeah. false, it's tests,
1: like multiple choice tests. Yeah. Like Rusty's method for taking those is he just checks all the he puts B's down for all of the. Yeah, all, one of the. the yeah. Every once in a while, see just to make it look different, yeah. right?
2: Yeah, yeah. One of the one of the tests that uh, it's one of the most prestigious certifications, um, but I won't mention the name. But it's a true/false multiple choice, fifty question test. Um, and the and the passing score to Pat is sixty six percent. You could miss one third you, of the questions you, and this still is, pass.
1: You know, this is that should be embarrassing to somebody. You know, it should be embarrassing that your certification is that easy to obtain. And and apparently it's not. Because to them the certification money is the point. It's not the quality of the of the matriculation. It is the it's the money. And, uh, you know,
2: well, the, well, the other thing that you get is, is so the other thing is insurance. And uh, I remember one of the certification organizations say, well, if, if you become a member of our organization, you can get their uh, personal training insurance, and strength insurance for three hundred dollars a year. OK, well, that's what the that's well, what
1: the insurance costs is three hundred dollars a year. And well, but, it, but hold one on. of the, the biggest insurer of, of of that sort of provider of that sort of policy will insure you with attendance at our seminar.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, but but the point was is uh, I looked up that insurance and um, they were saying that you have to be a member of the organization to get the insurance. Mm-hmm. So you're saying I have to subscribe to your magazine basically and that makes me qualified to get your insurance well i actually um found another company with the exact same insurance policy for 135 dollars so <laughs> so somewhere somebody there's some um kickback going on here um you know with these with these, uh, with these oh, organizations that,
1: that would be uh that would be tragic if such a thing were to take place wouldn't it uh, okay. Oh there
2: was there, there's one that uh, the study materials are almost a thousand dollars, and uh, uh, I just went ahead and took it because I wanted to see what they're about. And God, I could have been like half drunk and high on crack and passed that exam.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, just, uh, most
1: of them are just you know they're just silly. It's just absolute silliness. I uh, do not think that. Uh, Actin, myosin, troponin is relevant to whether you can coach a barbell squat. You know, I, I just, you know, there's, there's a, there's a point to knowing all of that stuff, but it has nothing to do with your ability on the platform. And we are in the business of certifying people who can spot errors – in movement patterns that deviate from the, the correct model of the exercise and then providing means of correcting those. And it has nothing to do with the muscle physiology. It has to do with movement coaching. And that's, well, so we confine ourselves to that.
2: Well, you know, the, the funny thing was is back in the nineties when I was the editor for the bigger, faster, stronger magazine, I had the opportunity to interview, um, College strength coaches, pro strength coaches, high school strength coaches. Mm-hmm. And I remember in the colleges, I would say, hey, uh, by the way, uh, how many of um, uh, your football players can uh, power claim 300 pounds? And they they had no problem telling me how many right. have a bench, you know, right. bench 400 or squat 500. But I just thought so over the years is that nobody will ever give out that information anymore.
1: Because they don't um, do the movement.
2: Yeah. and well, or I think Everybody's doing
1: hang cleans for some reason. I don't understand it, you know, but but
2: uh I know I, it's you, like, it's like, you know, I, I've seen these um you know, uh college weight room videos and somebody cleans three hundred pounds, it's like, you know, they're acting like they won the Olympics.
1: Right, right. <laughs> but everything you stops know, I, and they slap the guy on the back for what should be baseline strength.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I interviewed yeah. a coach in uh, in New York, a high school coach, and he had like uh, he had twelve of his football players cleaning over three hundred pounds, um, and a couple in the 330, 340 range. Um, back in in Las Vegas, uh, Val Ballison, he used to do this national high school power clean competition, which mm-hmm. um, uh, which was a great. Idea. You could still you could still you could still clean. You could do a full clean on it. But it was interesting to see, you know, you know, these athletes from different parts of the country, um, uh, you know, what their um, uh, what their numbers were. Because I've talked to coaches say, oh, we had uh, um, 50 athletes that clean 250 pounds, you know, and uh, but but nowadays and and also that's a problem with a lot of the velocity based training such as that a lot of times people, you know, they're not really into maxing out or. The thing is if you're just doing a hand clean that's a whole different kind of movement pattern than doing uh, a clean from the floor because right. you can put that bar in the crease and then kind of hitch it up and you're not really using the right. same muscles in a coordinated well and uh, coordinated more importantly
1: fashion. you're only using half of the range of motion and strengthening half of the range of motion you're not you know it's it's it, and the reason, you know why they do that, and you and I both know the reason they do that, is because they don't know how to coach the pull from the floor. They don't know how to coach it. And everybody that's doing a hang clean in those programs is doing an arm pull. Every single one of them, without exception, is doing an arm pull. They don't know how to keep straight elbows off the floor, and they don't care. Because they're starting with bent elbows from somewhere in the middle of the hip. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's yeah, absolutely I saw,
2: ridiculous. You know, I, um, I was gonna post this on my, my Facebook site, but I decided not to. The This one functional strength coach was saying, here's a, this, uh, uh, this young girl I've been working with for three years and you know, watch her technique. And the bar is, is, is looping around um, and then then crashing on her, and her back is going into a hyperextension. But, you know, it's, it's like a 15-year-old girl. I'm not going to, you know, try and embarrass uh, you know, well, uh, it's not, her on the not, Internet. Well,
1: it's not her that should be embarrassed. It's this clown that doesn't know how to do his job. We see what was, fun,
2: was funny about the video where they kept, keep it close, keep it close. What do you mean, keep it close? It's a foot away from your body. It's, it's it's got, the it's, path.
1: There's a giant loop in it, and he can't coach the loop. Yeah. You know, th- these people can't coach these lifts. They can't coach the lifts. But if you're functional training, you don't have to. How hard is it to coach a correct squat versus coaching a Bulgarian split squat?
2: Well,. Well, I, I, th- I think I think one of the problems is um, the coaches are afraid of the squat. Yeah, um, they are. If, 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 they, if they squat at all, it's, it's, in, it's in a power rack. But um, I don't know. You Have you visited high school weight rooms and watched these kids squat? Oh, absolutely um, not. I've
1: refused to go um, in. No. I, I'm but, but, not interested in seeing it anymore. Last time I was in a high school weight room was probably – Oh, probably twenty-five years ago, and I, I, I don't want to see it. It just pisses me off, and there's nothing I can do about it.
2: But the thing is, they don't kid, they don't teach kids how to um, miss a weight, you know, properly. And that's what I have a problem with a lot of the boot camp programs. Is these horrendous videos on YouTube? These these people don't know how to like you know, drop a snatch behind them. Okay, that's when I've given some clinics on uh, on Olympic lifting. Um, I the first thing I do is I teach them. Here's how you miss a clean. Here's how you miss a snatch. Okay, and a lot of these kids don't know how to do that. They don't. They do not know how to spot a, a squat. If you were going to do a box squat, and I could see in season where it can have some value, like the day before a game, you don't want to wear yourself out. But you have three spotters. You have two on the side and one in the back. And I've seen these. People doing these squats, they don't even know how to set up the pins correctly in the squat rack. So, um, I mean, and the pins are basically death control anyway. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so, so I think that they say, well, really don't want the the liability, um, you know, in case somebody got hurt in a squat. So let's just do this uh, well, Bulgarian you know, split squat.
1: If that's what, if your primary concern is liability, then. I think the best way to mitigate that liability is to learn how to do your fucking job. Learn how to coach the squat correctly. You know, now I've hurt myself bad. I'm a beat up, torn up old guy, but I've never hurt myself bad in the weight room. That's not where it happens. It's get bucked off a horse or falling off a ladder or some kind of shit like that. It's where I get hurt. But. We just don't have, I've had a gym for coming up on, oh, let's see, 84, coming up on 40 years. And I have never had a catastrophic injury occur in the gym. Because everybody that trains in my gym knows how to do the lifts. And they are not dangerous. Now, we've had back tweaks, but you have back tweaks at the grocery store, right? We don't have catastrophic injuries because we teach everyone how to do the exercises safely. Okay, and I, I, I just don't – if you don't want to have your lifters squat because you think they're dangerous, then you don't know how to coach the squat – And that's a big, giant hole in your preparation for your job, isn't it? Right? If you don't know how to coach the squat, learn how to coach the squat. Don't avoid doing the most useful exercise on the surface of the earth because you don't know how to coach it.
2: I, I, it's, it's, it, it, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funny. I, I coached my first uh, woman athlete, in 1983. She went to the national championships in lifting, and uh, up until 2018, I would say I maybe coached 1,500 uh, female athletes,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I never had an ACL. And, and people say, "Well, uh-huh. how do you uh, on field or in the weight room?" And people say, "Well, how do you rehab ACLs?" I don't know. I never had one.
1: Never had one. Uh, well, how <laughs> do you actually, prehab I, I, ACLs? You deadlift and you clean and you squat. That's how you prehab. Actually, That's how you don't have ACLs. But how many women's soccer teams do you know of where half of the girls don't have a scar on their knee?
2: In fact, uh, uh, a local soccer team here, that sits, uh, I mean, a local high school, they had four acls in the first three weeks
1: now you know like, this is what this is this is
2: and, and, and you know what's what's even crazier is that like 75 percent of these injuries are non-contact
1: no they're cutting no, they're, it, they're cleats on your feet and you're stopping and starting there's a bunch of stress on the acl remember what the acl does now if your hamstrings aren't capable of helping your acl then your hamstrings aren't strong enough and if your hamstrings aren't strong enough it's someone's fault someone bears well, responsibility for that
2: and mark I, you've been in this you know, you've been in weightlifting for a long time you have you you've seen uh weightlifters well sometimes they're they're miss a weight it will you know bash on their their thighs or it's, you know fall on their backs and they just get up and walk away and they're just yeah, absolutely fine right you know because uh, weightlifting teaches you how to, if you're in those uh, compromised positions, how to, you know, react to maybe right. you know, shut down the whole get system. Get away
1: from but, the bar. You, but you the learn is, that by yourself pretty much, you know. It, it it helps to, you know, be reminded, look, if you're missing the squat, missing the snatch behind you, get away from the bar, you know. Yeah. Now, what does that well, and, look like? You know?
2: Yeah. And you also have to think, too, is that this, this emphasis we have on Athletic tape, um, like the curious case of Mac Jones. Mac Jones is a quarterback for the the Patriots uh, football team, and uh, I read this article that he's wearing a knee brace to protect his uh, his front leg. That's his plant leg for um, uh, for throwing. Okay, well, um, was it I'm previously it. injured? No.
1: <laughs> it's just, okay. It okay. just wasn't very second, strong, honey. right? <laughs> okay, but then here's the thing: is
2: that in in the when came this year, he uh, I'm, I'm looking at pictures of of him in the in warming up, and his knee is braced, and it looks like his ankle is, is taped, and it's actually taped to a shoe. So what happens uh, in the game when he gets uh, trampled on by the, this 300 pound lineman is that you know he he uh, end up having a high ankle sprain. Well, the top of the knee, the knee is fine. The ankle's fine. They're both immobilized. Where's the stress go? (laughs) (laughs) Goes to the part
1: that's not taped.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And how many times have you seen, remember uh, 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 Tua, he's a quarterback for Miami Dolphins. I remember he had a high ankle sprain, had the surgery. Then he comes back like six weeks later and he hurts the other side and has to have Surgery on that. Um,
1: well, isn't that interesting? And his somehow the strength and conditioning staff kept their jobs.
2: Now, yeah. No, I now I could see like with like Patrick Mahomes is uh, um, it, when he was up against Jacksonville. He, you know, he had a high ankle sprain. They taped him up, put him back in the game, and they won twenty seven to twenty. And this week, you know, he was obviously hampered by it, but he had to play and they're in the super bowl so risk versus reward mm-hmm. you know but to say let's uh get, remember back when they were putting uh, all the linemen in in like acl knee braces to protect them on the field during no, practice
1: you know i, I don't can i don't watch professional sports i just it's you know i i can't tell you the last time i watched an entire football game it's just not interesting to me. Uh, I don't like to hear the sportscasters go on and on and on about shit. They have no idea what they're talking about. I, I, it, it's just not interesting to me. So I'm not a sports fan, and I, don't, I, don't, I, I really don't know anything about it except the demands physically and how to prepare for them.
2: I mean, right. it was actually kind of kind of funny. They they need to, they need to um, prep these broadcasters. I remember one athlete oh, who, uh, I think it was Kevin Durant, who uh, tore his ACL, and the the ESPN announcer was going, "Now, as everybody knows, the Achilles bone is connected to the ankle bone."
1: <laughs> <laughs> just look, just you guys, just shut the fuck up. I mean, just don't, or, 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 don't act or, or, like. Bob? Just talk about the uh, the score or something, but don't you know.
2: It's like when they brought uh, the Bob Beattie out to uh, commentate the Olympics and weightlifting. And now we come to the snatch portion of the clean and jerk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Are you
2: serious? What? Oh, what? God. The snatch so, portion
1: of the clean and jerk. Oh, God.
2: Again, I don't really see um, things getting better. It's uh, uh, my, my biggest problem is that you know, the strength coaches coming, coming in, they, they need to change the, um, the education so that, uh, that has a practical session where you actually learn how to, uh, do those lifts. Cause let's say, um, uh, let's say you came in and say, okay, uh, I went to the junior world championships, uh, and I've, uh, in the 75 kilo class and I, I, I clean and jerked 180 kilos. Um, well, you know, we don't care you know can you um explain the sliding filament theory, theory you know right <laughs> and such it, so you know you
1: know they, they, they concentrate on things that are irrelevant and the things that are the most relevant are ignored completely how does a barbell come off of the floor how does the human body move a bar off the floor how does a human body squat down below parallel and stand back up With a barbell on its back. How does a human body drive a barbell up over the head to lockout? How are these things accomplished? Now, how do we teach that? How do we teach that? And everybody gets taught a little bit differently because everybody receives information differently. But if you don't know the basis for why we deadlift the way we deadlift, why we have to clean a certain way, what the snatch is supposed to look like. Well, hell, what the bench press is supposed to look like, what you do when you press the bar up over your head. Will you squat down and stand back up? If you don't know what goes on or what should go on, the physical model of these movements, then you can't coach it. And it the sliding filament theory of muscle contraction is irrelevant on the platform.
2: Here's here's a, here's a great uh, one line I keep hearing is that the Olympic lifts are, are, are too hard to teach. Okay, and I had this uh, conversation with a coach in Utah. I won't name name the school, and, and I said, uh, "Yeah, I, you know, you know, your, your daughter, you know, she does Olympic lifts." I go, "Yeah," um, and uh, but I just noticed your athletes—they don't do full cleans. He says, "Well, we don't we don't have the time." I go. Oh, wait a second! Don't you have don't you have high school clinics so that these high school kids for like two weeks can come down to your school and and you can teach them lifting? Yeah. Okay. Well, when they they come to the school, uh, don't you redshirt them for a year? Yeah. And and oh yeah, and they're lifting. And then some of them don't they go on missions for two years and they're still lifting? Oh. Yeah. And then they come back and then they're uh, they got three more years with you, right? All right. Yep. So,
1: but you don't have time it, it, to teach it, it, them how to clean. Uh,
2: clean. <laughs> I, I have I have two dozen videos. I can show you people doing full full snatches the first time they ever tried. Right. But you know, uh, but I think it's uh, they 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 don't know how to do it. And, and sometimes too is that um, maybe ego goes gets in the way. It's like you know why not uh, go out to a local weightlifting club and say. You know, can I sit in? You know, um, can I learn
1: something that I don't already know?
2: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know of yeah. any weightlifting coach who would ever say to let's say a, a collegiate strength coach, uh, "No, you can't come in and watch my athletes train." You know, God,
1: my, you know, we don't have Sunday morning. We teach the 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 first thing we do Sunday morning is power clean, and every. Time we have a seminar we have people show up who have never done the power clean before and every time we get through with this session at about eleven thirty in the morning everybody in the room is doing a power clean now there are a couple occasionally an exception some physical idiot shows up I mean, some people are just not athletic enough to do a power clean. Some people are too old, and we don't make old people do explosive stuff. But everybody that is physically capable of it leaves the sessions at the top at at about 1130 knowing how to do a power clean who hadn't done it before. We know how to teach it. We've been teaching it for 17 years. We've been teaching the power clean to groups of people who don't know how to do it for 17 years, and we're very, very good at teaching both the power clean and the power snatch. We're very good at this. But if you've got somebody who is being paid to coach strength that doesn't know how to coach the power clean and the power snatch, then they are inadequately prepared for their job. You're, you have to know how to do your job. It's part of your responsibility for cashing the paycheck. Learn how to do your job.
2: Which, uh, yeah, which brings up the point of commercial gyms. Um, I was training about a year and a half ago at a commercial gym. They had four platforms, so you know I could do deadlifts. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I'm an old guy, but uh, uh, I did lift a one day 375 straight bar. Okay, for an old guy. And I got 400 to my knees and then the, the gym manager said, hey, you know, if you get uh, 400, you know, we'll give you a smoothie. Okay.
0: <laughs> <clears throat>
2: so what happened a few days later is that a, a friend of mine's daughter um, signed up at the gym. And they have all these fiber optic treadmills and such. And, uh, you know, she, she sees me and waves me over and says, hey, can you uh, show me how to use this? So I, you know, you know, showed her how to punch the bus and set up the the – bluetooth and the root canal and all that other kind of stuff that they have and um then that gym manager called me over and says hey uh you know we know about your background here and uh, we're not going to allow you to personal train here we have personal trainers here and you're you know um, cutting into our bottom line
1: so <laughs> so i quit my shoulder you know. how to use, I'm still <laughs> to, to use the treadmill.
2: i'm still using how to use the treadmill
1: Oh God! Oh, you're a treadmill salesman suddenly, huh?
2: Now, and actually, look at uh, like Planet Fitness. Um, uh, I actually have a membership at Planet Fitness, and uh, um, I do like using some of the machines, you know, um, and taking a free shower, and <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, sure. And uh, and the thing is, they've they've made it so that it's um, it's really there's no instruction whatsoever okay, uh, that um, uh, everything is... They have machines, they have all the treadmills, and then they do have some Smith machines, and they have the dumbbells, but they only go up to, I think, like 65 pounds. So you're not going to have the really heavy-duty people coming in there. But there's...
1: They don't want know, heavy-duty it, people in there.
2: No, they're, they're just... Oh, it, uh, this, that's
1: the complete anathema to their business model.
2: Yeah. I, it, when one person told me that they... Um, uh, like our, our local gym, their average membership is, uh, 18 months before people realize they're not using the membership, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I'm okay. Like, Hey, I like to go watch a weekend football game. So I'll go off to Planet Fitness and you know, and get on a treadmill or a stationary bike for two hours and watch my game better than sitting in front of a, a TV, yeah.
1: you know? so. Well, you know, there's certainly so reasons to have the membership, but their business model has nothing to do with fitness. It's a, it's a sales model. That's all it is. I mean, who is going to stop a $10 a month bank draft? Yep. You know, every time you have to stop a $10 a month bank draft, you go through the process of thinking, well, you know, hell, I might want to go down there and use it. It's only 10 bucks. And that's, that's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. These guys have figured it out. Planet Fitness is that's the smartest business model in the entire (laughs) fitness industry
2: and and the thing is i don't really have a problem with it because uh most people come in there you know i'll see let's say a a 60 year old woman and she'll be on a a treadmill or a stationary bike for an hour hey good for her you know it's It's better than than nothing you know yeah you know um but the other the other gyms though they really discourage anybody from helping anybody out and they will stop people if they think that uh, you know they're trying to you know, right. set up a, a personal training because you know the funny thing is like my, my first gym membership was back in 1972 and you know we had power lifters uh, weightlifters um fitness people everybody um, worked out together everybody got along and everybody helped coach each other Now it's just everybody puts on their earbuds and they're all, you know, in their own little separate thing. And it's a shame because the, you know, the powerlifting community, they went their way. The the bodybuilders went their way. And, uh, you know, it's it's not like a a, a typical iron game community like it was, you know, in the past. Right. So, you know. Right.
1: um, You know, and all the electronics and all the other input and stuff just, it just precludes. Interpersonal communication—it's uh its a damn shame because that's how you learn stuff: is talking to guys in the gym that know more about this than you do That's how everybody learns how to do everything, or did at one time.
2: And uh, you, know? you know, yeah, and I would put my hat off to CrossFit for you know helping weightlifting in terms of numbers because I got—I remember back in 1975 it was we had a, a woman competing in our local meet up there in Northern california the news people were out there we had you know reporters and uh, you know it was a big to do because we had a woman and now mm-hmm. we have we have competitions where 60 percent of the entries will be women but well, you know the, the the funny thing that that uh, maybe you you have some insight into this is that um the the top women that we have in the country we have you know world champions junior world champions you know they all came out of crossfit gyms but it seems like all the male lifters are still coming out of those garage gyms you know those Mm hole-in-the-wall places um and they're not really coming out of the the crossfit do you have any insight into that
1: well uh crossfit i was associated with crossfit for for three years from 2006 right up to december of 2009 and 2010 i uh, went my own way and have been doing our we've been doing our own seminar product since then but i uh, associated with them for for quite a while and uh, uh crossfit is uh it's not really a training method because it's random training is not random but crossfit has exposed more people to the barbell than any other thing that's ever existed and they have to be congratulated for that they have generated a whole bunch of weightlifters that otherwise would never have have been there because they experienced the snatch and a clean and jerk and all the other exercises with the bar at crossfit got interested in it and decided to head in that direction as competitive athletes so I, you can't you can't fault CrossFit for uh, for everything they've done. You know, they've uh, helped. They, CrossFit is, re- is responsible for people realizing that it would be a good idea to learn some stuff at a weekend seminar and paying a bunch of money to go do it. You know, hey, that, and uh, and Glassman that, started that. You'd have to, you know, but... Yeah, and, uh,
2: and, and. And they and they gave weightlifters a place to train. Yes, uh, absolutely.
1: How many places have bumper plates and good bars now, whereas uh, had them in 1979? There are probably you could count on your on the hand of uh, you could count on the fingers of one hand the number of places in the state of Texas where you could do the snatch and the clean and jerk in 1979.
2: Witherspoon's you know, uh club, there's one.
1: So it's, you know, but, but now <laughs> now you've got, you know, innumerable places with bumper plates, you know? Yeah.
2: You know, you know, what's a shame is that they, I was thinking back when the strength coaching profession, you know, first started is that, you know, we started seeing all these college weight rooms that had platforms and yeah. Olympic bars and bumper plates, um, and illegal bars on the bench press machine. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. um, and you would think, wow, look at all these people now who are going to be exposed to weightlifting. You know, they should be a boon for the sport, but you know, what are they doing? They're doing hang power cleans. Yeah. You know, how, how many, how many, how many sports programs in college do you know that we actually do a power snatch?
1: I, I don't, I don't know of any. I don't know of any, and this goes right back to the. I'm going to lay the. All right, here's, here's the, here's what's going to be ugly that I'm going to say today. I've already said a bunch of ugly stuff, but I'm telling you, Kim, and you know this as well as I do. The problem with functional training is that it is a perfect reservoir for human laziness that the guys don't want to learn things they don't know and the kids are perfectly happy doing less instead of more it's a it's a it's a convergence of human laziness is exactly what it is and if you are firmly convinced that a bulgarian split squat is preferable to a 700-pound deadlift, that you will never learn how to coach the deadlift and you will never push the kids to get strong because you don't have to. Meanwhile, your injury list goes up and up and up, and ACL surgeries become more and more prominent, and all the local orthopedic surgeons take you out to dinner and... You know, everybody, no one benefits except well, it, it, lazy strength it, coaches.
2: Well, and, and, and one of the problems, too, is in-season training is that so many coaches are afraid of of um, having, you know, kids get on a, under a barbell during the season because they're mm-hmm. going to get sore. So if, let's say you're, you're a high school track coach, and I've seen this in, in this area. It's like, okay, in the, the month before – the the season, they're out there doing their you know, power cleans and their squats and their deadlifts and getting strong. Okay, well they they start the the track season. Well, you know that we got the first meet coming up and you know we want to put on a good show, so let's just skip the Thursday weight workout. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then the next workout You know, this is our first conference meet, you know, so let's make There's sure There's
1: always a black. reason isn't there.
2: It, And you know, and it it gets to the whole point. It's like, okay, train light, train light. Don't train legs. Don't train legs. Don't train at all. Right. Okay. And and then you go to the next sport. Oh, basketball. You have three weeks of preseason. Everybody's getting strong and such. Well, got a first game coming up. Don't don't want to get sore. And the thing is, if you're doing, you know, Swiss ball exercises and all this rubber band stuff and such, um, you're um, you're not going to get sore. I, I, yeah. I, have a, I have a great little, a great little story. Is that um, Charles Pollockin back in nineteen eighty nine was working with, with uh, the synchronized swim team for Canada, and they all had an epidemic of shoulder injuries, right? And uh, he said, "Well, you know, what are you doing? Oh, we, we're doing all these elastic band exercises, you know, for the shoulder." So he said, "Well, stop doing them," and all the injuries went away because those things that affect your. Your coordination, uh, the Russians call it uh, coordination enslavement. So, like, if you're going to throw a punch, the long head of the bicep contracts to decelerate. Well, if you have it with tubing, it interferes with that. Okay? So maybe all that, you know, those yes. bands and such are great for power lifting competitions, but they They're really not... don't have a function They're... in...
1: Any movement pattern that is specific to training and used in the weight room has the potential to interfere with the sport movement pattern that is used on the field. This is why training is best accomplished with big general exercises like the squat, the deadlift, the press, and the bench press that don't look like what happens on the field. Because then when you practice on the field, you're using the specific movement patterns you use on the field with muscles that got stronger in the weight room, non-specifically. And I I don't know. I mean, that's not hard to understand. Why would you want to make your strength training look like your sport? Please explain golf strength training to me. I do not understand this at all. You know, why do they think well, that well, you got to resist twisting? I don't understand it. I well, remember,
2: remember, I don't remember back in the 70s, uh, the uh, track coaches had this idea, let's put ankle weights on everybody and right, have them right, hold right. hand right. weights. And then when they take them off, they're going to be super fast. Well, the thing right. is, you know, the momentum builds up and then people are hyperextending their knees or getting tendonitis type uh-huh. problems. But they were trying to exactly match... The sport or um but the other thing you have to you have to realize is that uh, that the (laughs) the greatest piece of advice i got when i started writing um uh, back with brennersville publication from my boss was when it comes down to emotion versus logic in the fitness industry emotion always wins so Hmm. who who are we going to listen to i'm going to listen if i want to know how to train for to be a quarterback, am I going to listen to Mark Rippertow? Am I going to listen to Tom Brady and his TV-12 right. method exactly. with his rubber bands? And
1: this is, you know, that is a very good point, Kim. Very good point. Neither you nor I were elite lifters. Far from it. But who universally, throughout all sports, make the shittiest coaches in the business? Elite athletes. This is always the case. Anybody that thinks about it for more than 10 seconds will, will understand that the best athletes in a sport are almost always completely incapable of coaching that sport. Because they've never had to solve the problems that less than elite gifted athletes have to learn to solve, and they don't learn how to solve them, and they are unable to solve them when they're coaching. You know, who are the the best football coaches in the history of the sport? Tom Landry?
2: Bill Belichick.
1: Belichick. (laughs) Vince, you know. And none of those guys were outstanding football players. You you, but what has USA weightlifting done every time they've had the opportunity? They go out and they hire the best lifter in the world to be the men's national coach, which is stupid. That is stupid.
2: But uh, but uh, but let me give you one example because I uh, again. You know, I, I'm one of these people who wrote for all the, those magazines you know, Flex yeah. Magazine, Iron Man, for Women's Fitness, sure. and, and such. And um, I got the inter- uh, the opportunity to interview one of the uh, best-selling ever um, aerobic fitness instructors. Her videos have sold tens of millions of copies. She had a TV show, and mm-hmm. uh, and it said that uh, you know, at the beginning of the the show, it says that she's an exercise physiologist. And so I called up and said, "You know, it's really nice to talk to you because you have a background in exercise physiology." You know, most people that I'm, I'm interviewing have no background. It's just a personality says, "Well, I don't really have a background in exercise physiology, but um we just like I have to say read some, books.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and read she, some she,
2: books." And then she and then she was uh, she was talking about, "You know, the hamstrings are really important and the hamstring is a muscle that it starts in the in the lower back and it's attached to it the ankle i go well yes in a frog in a frog (laughs) you you know know,
1: that is just Uh,
2: but but let me tell you let me tell you one more thing about this person is that when i was going to do the interview the uh they they fedexed me every one of her books her videos the these press packages were incredible with with photos and then and i got this letter saying that Hey, if you need help writing the article, we have writers. Um, if if you don't want to write <laughs> oh, yeah. the article, we'll write it for you. And it's like, yeah. my work is done. So we end up putting her on the cover and doing a five-page spread because this was the easiest article right. that I that I saved ever, a bunch of time,
1: didn't it? <laughs> yeah, but but that's yeah. what
2: they have is they have great marketing people. Oh yeah, that's all. That's <laughs>
1: all it's about. You know, these, and it's and, and, these, and the lay public is incapable of distinguishing. Coaching from performance. Delay. So, you know, and Tom Brady's a perfect example. Here's the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. Well, if I want to be the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL after Tom Brady, what do I need to do? The lay public is incapable of understanding that what Tom Brady did is not what you want to do because he's Tom Brady and you're not. You know, you you can't tell people that. They don't understand that. They are incapable of understanding the difference between coaching and performance. And they don't understand about about who makes well, the best coaches.
2: Yeah, and, and and Tom Brady, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure I could beat him in a forty-yard dash. <laughs> um, you yeah, know, he's, the thing is, what what makes him? He has this great release. He has a great sense of the field. Those are the qualities that those
1: bear, bear are the quarterback qualities. qualities. The guys, <laughs> right now, would it would it hurt Tom Brady if he had his deadlift up to four oh five? No, wouldn't hurt him at all. It'd make him better when he got tackled. It'd make him far less likely to ever be injured. But that's twenty years ago. That should have taken place. But the, the job of a quarterback is not the same thing as the job of the offensive lineman, and they acquire those characteristics in completely different ways. And you can't explain that to anybody. You can't. Explain. It,
2: it, you know, it, it's kind of funny. The uh, local Boston paper did a, a story on um, uh, Tom Brady's trainer. You know, he was fined $66,000 by the, uh, the FDA. Because he was uh, putting out a product that he said could cure cancer,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and also the, the, you have uh, you have announcers using the term pliability. There's no such thing as pliability. It's it's they use that when they're like, like dissecting cadavers. You know, there's no such thing as a uh, you know as as pliability. But you have the announcers. They're all they're all kind of buying into it. Well, so.
1: you know, I don't know. <sighs> Kim, over the past two and a half years we have learned some very important lessons about the human species most of us are stupid and most of us will do as they're told most of us will not think most of us will fall for authority every single time or perceived authority most of us are not independent most of us just go along to get along most of us do not value originality most of us are perfectly willing to just repeat things over and over and over again because we're comfortable with that most of us are not willing to push envelopes we're not willing we're not willing to think in ways that are not approved
2: yeah. Let me give you give yeah. me I give you one, one last story here. I think you get a kick out of um, all right. So I was at the Air Force Academy for eight years. We did great. We had uh, went to five bowl games beat Ohio State, um, you know, and you uh, had a great time there. And then after, um, you know, uh, after my time, I said, Well, it's time for me to move on. So yeah, I was telling uh, uh, one of the coaches that, uh, you know, I'm going to be moving on. going to go to, you know, uh, Southern California and, and just focus on, on, you know, writing again. He goes, wow, you have a degree like in journalism and physical education? I go, no, I don't have a degree in PE. But you never told us that. You never asked me. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole point is, I got I got hired because you know I actually walked into the gym and one of the um, uh, um, one of the, the people at the academy used to be with me in the Air Force and he was a weightlifter, so I was working with him. And the coach said, uh, "Hey, uh, you know you're doing a pretty good job. Can you help this athlete out?" So sure. And then I, for the next two hours, I was showing everybody how to clean correctly. And then he goes, "Boy, I wish I could hire you." You can. So next week, I moved to Colorado and became a coach for the next eight years. <laughs> but No,
1: <nobody, laughs> well, you fooled them, nobody, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and, and, the, and
2: the funny thing is, they, they said, um, you know, you better get that uh, NSCA certification. I said, OK. Um, so uh, at the time, though, it didn't say you had to have a four-year degree, but they didn't say in what.
1: Yeah, I know. I had a geology yeah, so, degree. Uh, i had
2: a a friend with with a wait i had a friend with a theology degree yeah could take the test a theology i was
1: in i was in the first group that sat for that test in 1985 i think when they first came up with the certified strength and conditioning specialist i was in the group in dallas that sat for the exam the first time it was and i had that until 2009 when i decided that i didn't no longer wanted to let it be known that I held that certification. So I formally dropped it. And I think I'm the first one to ever do that.
2: Did you get some type of award? I mean
1: <laughs> I should have, I know. Yeah,
2: you know, boy, you they used to get some uh, you know, um iron game champion here with distinction or or no i never got
1: an award i I should have been rewarded for dropping the certification but i i was i don't think anybody appreciated that but me (laughs) now that i think about it but uh yeah it's uh you know and and the nsca to go back to our original topic you and i tend to ramble when we start talking uh the, the NSCA is almost single-handedly responsible for the ascendance of functional training. They've been behind that ever since it came up. Uh, they do not. That thing started off under Boyd Epley as the National Strength Coaches Association, and it was a fairly legitimate organization for three or four years, and then it, and then the academics got a hold of it, and it went down the toilet. And it is now a wonderful business model. They have weaseled themselves into a situation where if you are going to be a strength coach, you want to work in strength and conditioning anywhere, you have to have their little bullshit certification. And uh, the bar has been lowered The bar has been lowered, boys and girls, and the NSCA lowered it, and functional training is now the norm, and nobody is strong. Nobody is training. Nothing is functional. Nobody knows anything about the difference between training and practice. Nobody knows any of this stuff, and everybody's injured, and nothing is getting accomplished.
2: You know, if if I can add add one last thing is that uh, I see on YouTube there's a lot of of critics you know i know you have your letters to the haters which is, is really fun to fun to watch but i see these people saying you know mark Riperto is wrong and then they do a 45 minute rant about why you're wrong but you know coming from a journalism background you need to give you know um uh, the other person a, a chance to respond and the, th- and the thing is i remember you know like six months ago it's like i had a question about um uh, an athlete that used to be in your gym and i I went, you know, on your website, and oh, there's your phone number. I dialed the phone number, and you answered. Yes. It's like, why can't these people, if, if they really have a problem with this, you know, why not just call you up and get a clarification? Why right. not, you know, instead
1: for, you know, like, of misstating my position and then refuting that, because yeah. it's easy. I would just lazy.
2: Yeah, from a credibility standpoint, yeah. uh, I think it was a, was a Matt Wending. I guess you you guys uh, had some disagreements about the star position of the deadlift, but I guess when he ended up talking to you and uh, and uh, and got a clarification, you were actually you guys were pretty much on the same page. But I don't see that. I just see people just you know they they go on, they they do their rants, and they say I don't like this program and such. But you know, at least give the other person the opportunity to respond and and um i only had once in my entire career as a writer where um uh uh, i had a a coach or that i had a question about who would not respond to me you know right so and and i do that too with with researchers who put out papers i'll say you know uh, you were doing sets of 10 in the front squad why is that and i would write them a letter and then they would explain it you know but i just Mm -hmm. think people are just lazy and let's just I disagree. That's all it is. Let's go into a 45-minute rant.
1: They are producing clickbait. That's all they're doing. They know that I've sold a million books. They know that people pay attention to what I say. So if they publicly disagree with me, you get some clicks, and that's all there is to it. They don't want clarification on what I say. I don't say anything I can't prove to begin with. I say absolutely nothing that can't be proven. And if I have a statement about the start position of the deadlift, I can prove that I am correct about that. If I have a statement about the way the bar comes off the floor in a clean and they don't agree with that, I can prove that I'm right. Because that's all I do. I sit around and I think about this shit, and that's all I've been doing for a very long time. And if, if they want a clarification They could call me, and I'll clarify, and I'll tell them exactly why I'm right. But it's easier for them to just say, Ripto's full of shit. Well, Ripto isn't full of shit, all right? I may be an abrasive fucker. I may be uh, not quite as photogenic as other people. I don't have good biceps, you know, but I'm not full of shit. And all they have to do to clarify that is call me on the phone. And I'll tell them what they need to know about what my position actually is. Because it's probably not what they are stating that it is. I see this all the time. All the time. And it's, it's, I just quit worrying about it. I quit worrying about it. But you, you, never, you, you know? never
2: experience when somebody calls you up and they ask you a question you say oh, I'm not going to talk to you and you hang up the phone
1: no i don't do that no, yeah. I don't, yeah. you know I, you know my phone number is public i get calls every day from people for one reason or another and i don't hang up on anybody i answer the phone and i talk to them you know if it's something that, you know i I'm not going to here's one thing I won't do somebody calls me up with a question that should be posted on the forum I'll tell them look I you know post that question on the forum I'm not going to talk to you by yourself when I can talk to 50,000 other people about exactly the same thing it's just it's the the best use of my time is to answer that question on the forum so you call me on the forum but somebody calls me with a with an injury question, or they've got some something they want to discuss that's that I don't think would be better posted on the forum. Some kind of personal deal, or something like that. I talk to them. I yeah, talk to people it, well, every but, day. I talk to people.
2: But also, it's it's a case too, is that if somebody calls you up, I think some of your first question will be, "Did you read my book?" Yes. And and yes. and if they say no, well. You read say, the book, do call me, a me favor, back. Read the book and then call me back. It
1: happens you know, once so. a week. It happens once a week. <laughs> read the book, call me. It's all in the book. All that shit's in the book. I there's four pages about that in the book. Read the book. If you don't understand it, call me back. But so it's just a matter of, you know, what best use of time. Best use of time for both me and them is for me to tell them to read the book. And uh, but as far as Uh, somebody on the internet somebody who's a a, a, you know supposedly an expert on this uh, you know i I, i'm not going to address somebody who disagrees with me on the internet because it's pointless that they didn't they disagreed with me for one reason that is to get clicks is get to drive traffic to their website and i'm not going to publicly disagree with them because that's exactly what they want me to do, isn't it? So no, I'm not going to do that. But uh, if, if somebody, like you and I probably don't agree on everything about the Olympic lifts. Nobody agrees with me on most things about the Olympic lifts, right? But you've been doing this longer than I've been doing this. We're both entitled to our opinions. We both know what works for us. We, we both have observed the same patterns over and over again. And we know what we're doing. And I'm not going to talk to some kid that's been doing this for five years, you know. I've forgotten more about all of this shit than this kid will ever have an opportunity to learn. And I'm just not going to get into a discussion on the Internet about why he disagrees with me. He's not entitled to disagree with me.
2: Well well, that's you know? one thing that these uh, these internet influencers do is they look and say who is getting the most you know clicks right and you know, those are the people that they want to uh,
1: right you know, disagree uh, with
2: disagree with you sure.
1: know? so um, oh, I've been dealing with this for 20 years. it's uh ever since the book was published in '05, I've been dealing with people who didn't like what I had to say. I don't care. what I do works. It's worked for everybody that's done it. I don't care what the greatest lifter in the world does. I don't care. What I care about is what his mother's doing. I care about strength training. I don't care about competitive powerlifting. I don't care about competitive Olympic weightlifting. Those are interesting to me, but that's not the business I'm in. We're in the business of strength training everybody, not just athletes. And I, it's hard to convince people in the sports that I'm, yeah, I'm it, really not, you know, I, I don't care what you do. Yeah, because you know?
2: that's what when people are saying. Well, um, I don't see any of Rippitose athletes at uh, weightlifting meets. Well, that's not your, your target. That's not market. what I
1: I don't <laughs> send athletes to weightlifting meets. I don't care about sending. I haven't been to a weightlifting meet in, oh, 15 years. Probably. Well, no, no, it's been more recently than that it's probably been within seven or eight years because i don't want to go to a weightlifting meet now we we occasionally send lifters to weightlifting meets my boy chase lindley did a standing press with 405 at a body weight of 242 now can any of their athletes do that no they can't You know, the only people doing those kind of weights are great, big, giant, 300-pound-plus strongman guys that have taken a whole bunch of steroids for a long, very, very long time. So we know what we're doing, but I'm not in that business. I'm not an Olympic weightlifting coach. I'm a strength coach that happens to use the Olympic lifts in my programming. I don't care about powerlifting. I I care more about Olympic lifting than I do powerlifting, but powerlifting is the least of my concerns. It's absolutely the least of my concerns. But when I get somebody's grandmother deadlifting 300 pounds – that's what I care about. Yeah.
2: You know. But it's it, it, what's also kinda of funny is that uh you know, the reason I went back to school after twenty-five years to get my masters is because I would have discussions with um these coaches and they would say, Oh, where'd you get your master's degree from? So now I can say, Okay, I got my master's from AT Steele University. Can we have a conversation now? You know, <laughs>
1: Yeah, now that so. you've got the credential that allows them to talk to you. Uh, yeah. You know, that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. Yeah. I've had, over the years at our seminar, I've had people come up to us when we're through Sunday night and say, you know, I've got a master's in exercise physiology, and I learned more this weekend than I did in my entire graduate coursework. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had that happen to me. And it's, well, well, how,
2: it's, how many how many kids that who came out of a college program that were in your clinics um, right off the bat could demonstrate how to perform a optimal power clean, squat, n- and deadlift? Look, none of them.
1: None of them. They weren't taught any of that at school. They're not taught that at school. School's academic. Academics do not work on the platform. And when you come to me, you're learning how to work on the platform, both as a lifter and as a coach. And I don't care about what you know about the sliding filament theory of muscle contraction. It's not relevant to what we do. It's I know it. It's important to understand that because it relates to topics like soreness and and uh, standing vertical jump stuff like that that we actually do use. As weightlifting coaches, but I, the 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 basics, you're you're you know, uh, well, how, how many how many ex-fiz class many, is not relevant to what we do.
2: Okay, well, how many of the people in your classes coming in right off the bat could design let's say a three-month off-season program for a football player? No, but none, none of them.
1: None of them. No, That's why they come to me. That's no. why they come to me you know they come to me to help them sort that kind of thing out and when when we get through with them they're capable of programming they're capable of coaching they're obviously experience has to be accumulated but they are equipped with the basics and none of them got it at school so i tell you what everybody's getting tired of us so let's just wrap this up and we're going to We'll wrap it up by saying, functional training, you guys are wasting your time. You're wasting the time of your athletes. Don't do that. Learn how to get people strong. Learn the basic barbell lifts. Coach the basic barbell lifts. Get where you're capable of actually making a contribution to your athlete's performance in the field. Because you're not doing it with functional training. And you should already know that. But if it hadn't dawned on you, think about it. Okay. Kim, thanks and, for being with and, us today.
2: And success leaves clues. That's
1: uh In fact, it does, doesn't it? Success <laughs> yep. leaves clues. Okay. Uh, thanks to Kim Goss for being with us today on the on the podcast. And we'll talk to you again soon about other shit. <laughs> and uh, okay. I always always enjoy talking to Kim, so we'll we'll call him back sometime. And we want to thank you guys for being with us today on starting strength radio. We'll see you next time.